0: Merry Christmas. All right, good to see you, man. So here's the deal, man. If you didn't like that music, you ain't going to heaven. You just ain't gonna, you're not gonna be there, all right? That was some good, good worship music, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. So I, uh, I picked up my five-year-old uh, granddaughter, um, who is 1,000% girl, okay? I picked her up and put her on my lap, Uh, last week and I said, "Uh, baby doll, pops has figured out what I'm gonna get you for Christmas. And she got all bright-eyed, man, and she said, really, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. And I looked at her and I said, a softball glove, a pink one. And she said, no! And I said, baby, we'll be there at every game. You'll be a great softball player. Pops will buy you snacks at the end of every game. And just in case I hadn't heard, she said it again, no! I said, well, what do you want? What do you want me to get you? And she said, I want you to get me a baby doll that'll go bathroom in its diaper. And now we're both confused. She's confused on why I wanted uh, to get her a softball glove and I'm confused why she wants a baby doll with a wet diaper. Have you ever, ever got a gift that you didn't want and have you ever wanted a gift that you didn't get? Probably so, everybody's been there. Hopefully that won't be your Christmas this year. I, I remember when I met my wife Um, As soon as I met Susan, she started to move me up in the class factor, okay? I don't mean that I was a bum or slob, but... She was way classier than me, and she she just kind of she'd look at the things I wore all the time and the things I did, and you know I thought you know a couple months she'll straighten me up and she'll quit giving me advice. <laughs> so anyway, four decades later, I've learned that never stops. But anyway, at that time, my grandma was living, and uh, some of you ladies might remember this. Uh, ladies back in that generation, they liked to knit things, okay. And so one Christmas, my grandmother knitted me a vest that I would wear with my suit when I preached. And it was a a green color. Does anybody remember the color of pea soup? Anybody remember that? That was the color, and it was this thick, woolly yarn thing. So we got in the car, and Susan said to me, "You, you do know that you will not be wearing that. You do know that, don't you? So there's times when things you didn't want, that's what you end up getting. And then there's times at Christmas where things you do want, you don't seem to be able to get them, do you? Huh? I mean, how many times do I have to draw pants about a membership to Valhalla Golf Club. I mean, how many times do I have to say something like that? So that's what Christmas is. Christmas is sometimes getting things you really don't want and not getting things that you really do want. And if it was just Christmas, man, that would be so easy. But doggone it, it's not just about Christmas. It ends up being about life. And that's the problem with it. The older you get, the more you realize that those things happen in life. And so have you ever had stuff happen to you that you didn't want to happen to you? Anybody in the room, can you raise a hand and testify? Any experience you've ever had, that that's the last thing you wanted to happen in your life? There, there are people in this room right now that would say, I would have preferred not to have received the news I got from the doctor. I don't want that news. There are people in this room right now who would say, you know, when we decided to have children, nobody told us about paying for rehab at an addiction center years later. Nobody told us about that. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that I'd be sitting in this funeral home staring at that casket. Anybody been there? So the reality of life is that there's times when, man, that is not what I wanted to happen in my life, and that's the very thing that happened. And the reality is that bucked up against that in the reality of life is that a lot of times there are things that we long for and they never happen. There are testimonies in this room right now who would say, I, I, just, I just wanna have a happy marriage and don't fight all the time. And there's others who would say, I just, I just wanna be married. And there are some who would say, I, I, just, I would just like a job where, you know, I got a little bit left over at the end of the month. And I can, I can hear what some of us might think when I've started out our, our lesson with this um, this weekend is that we came on Christmas and you want to say, come on, dude, man, it's Christmas. What are you talking about this stuff for? And the reality is, is that we're going to get real in this room over the next few minutes because what happens at Christmas tends to happen at life. And life is a series of things I didn't want to happen and they did, and things I wanted to happen and they didn't. And the and the question is, how do you respond to that? And 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 so Dave, does does that does that fit in to Christmas? I mean, can we wait for that? Well, the reality is, is that Chris, the Christmas story, is about disappointment and heartache and hopelessness and what you do when those things are your reality. And you might be thinking right now, dude, where's that in the Christmas story? And so I would ask you, well, maybe you ought to ask the parents of some little boys in Bethlehem who were murdered in the first Christmas. So we're doing this series of of teaching this month, and I, I hope this has been helpful. I hope it's been a fresh look at Christmas to you, and it's this concept that If if you look at the Christmas story and pay attention to the people and the things that are happening and really kind of get down into the weeds, it becomes apparent that there are things that happened at Christmas, I believe intentionally by God, as a a message to us that these are going to happen in your life all the time. They're, They're not just left for this story in the Bible where Jesus was born. Those are repetitive in your life. And so we said, let's take a month and do that. And we've kind of been down this road so far. We started with Mary and We learned what a kingdom calling was. And last week, we, we jumped onto John the Baptist. And we learned about a crowd and a circle. And, and today, today we, we go into this incredible story of these little kids who were murdered. And, and we, we hear that and we think, man, I don't, I don't know how that plays into the Christmas story and I definitely don't see how it, it happens in my life, but we are, if we are brutally honest, we begin to see that there were things that happened there that have already knocked on your doorstep and maybe you didn't know it. Now, we all know the story, so, so let me read it. I wanna read the story of uh, this event Only Matthew records it. I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. And I just want you to hear it. I want to read it. And then the last sentence, which is kind of the the pinnacle of the story, I'll put it up on the screen for you to hear. So Matthew chapter 2, he writes this leading to this story. Where they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. We think at this point Jesus was maybe about two years old. And so he told them to escape to Egypt, and the angel said, Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And then here's this verse. Here's this verse that comes up that we think, what on earth is that about? When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And we've got this this verse that doesn't seem to fit in the Christmas story, man. And so what I want to do is I want to jump into this, and I want to dive into it. I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on the children who were murdered at Christmas, but you're going to learn a lot about it today. And if you're a church person, you're a Christian, you've been following Christ, you've heard about this before, and we've become so immune to this that we read it and just kind of go right past it. But if you're in this room and you never knew about this, or think about maybe putting yourself in a position where this is the very first time you ever saw this, you would look at it and go, what in the world? happened there? What in the world happened? What I want to suggest to you is that embedded in this story is your story. And you'll find out that a couple questions begin to rise when you're looking at this thing that then start to make it really real for all of us. And the first question is, did that really happen? I mean, really? Did that really happen historically? And then the second question is, if it did happen, why did it happen? And so I want you to kind of walk through that with me. I want to kind of study it with you a little bit. Hopefully it's going to be a good history lesson for you a little bit. And uh, it's going to have a powerful, powerful point uh, to you if you choose to follow Christ. So let's tackle this first question. Did that really happen? Did that really happen? Did they kill a bunch of little kids in Bethlehem? So check this out. Make sure you hear this. There is no historical evidence outside of what was written right there in Matthew chapter 2. There is no historical reference anywhere that remotely mentions this. Nothing. The only thing written about a massacre in Bethlehem of little children is what was on that screen right there. There is nothing written about it. In that day and time and location, right around in that period of time, which was preceding 100 AD, so in the very first century, there was a historian that you probably heard about when you were in school and uh, got bored during uh, history class, but you probably recognized the name Josephus. And Josephus is one of the best historians that we have today who lived in that period of time. We have a lot of his writings where he told us the things that happened in the first century in that part of the world. And so we can go to Josephus' works and validate a lot of historical things that happened. And so I want you to hear this. There is not one mention by Josephus in anything he ever wrote about kids being murdered in Bethlehem. And you would think if you're a historian in that period of time, living in that day, man, you're going to write about that. You would think he did it. Doesn't say a word about it. The murders, were told, were ordered by a guy by the name of Herod the Great. And so I want you to check this out. Josephus wrote two books. Back in those days, they were scrolls. We have copies of those two scrolls. He wrote two scrolls, two books, about the life of Herod the Great. Not one word about the murder of those children. And so it's very easy for some people to look at all that and think, well, that's just kind of, made up, Matthew just threw that in there to kinda amp up the intensity of the story. But the reality is, for those who study this kinda thing and think through it analytically, the general understanding is this really happened. And I'm gonna tell you two reasons why we believe that it happened. Number one is this, and that is in reference to how many children lost their lives. I think most of us kind of read that story and we've heard about it and we think that there was this just massive amount of children who were killed in this story. Incredible. In fact, kind of the technical name for this story is the massacre of the innocents. And you may have heard that phrase before. And just by looking at that, it looks like, man, there were just gobs and gobs and hundreds and hundreds of kids killed here. Here here at Eastside we have about 50 children every weekend who are two years old and under and that's 50 kids just here, just here. And so when we hear they killed all these kids in Bethlehem, we've got in our mind this unbelievable situation, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children who were no longer alive. But I want you to hear this. At that period of time, Bethlehem was a very tiny, insignificant, unknowable town. It was a very, very tiny place. The best estimates we have on the population of Bethlehem and its vicinity is on the low side, around three to 500 people live there. On the high side, maybe 1,000 people live there. And so when you look at those numbers and then start thinking, well how many of the three to 100 to 1,000, how many of them were little children? And so the reality two under, that means there were probably somewhere around maybe 20. And let's assume half of them were girls, and so now we're dealing with what most historians believe was the death somewhere between maybe five, six, 10, 11, 12 children. So it's not a story where there is this massive, massive amount of children who were killed. Now one is too many. Can somebody say amen? One is too many. But it wasn't 500, it wasn't 5,000. It was a handful of kids who lost their life. Now add this to it, stay with me. I promise this will apply to your life, okay? Stay with me. The guy who ordered it was named Herod the Great. He is the worst man that you will ever hear about. If hell only had one room, for one person, it'd probably be him. Herod the Great was Herod the Great was one of the worst people that we've ever read about historically. He had ten wives. Each of the wives gave him sons and all the sons wanted to be the next king. And so we know that they had these attempted poisonings in their family trying to get rid of sons and brothers to decrease the number of people chosen for the next leader. It was an incredibly dysfunctional family. Some of the poisonings were toward Herod the Great. He had sons trying to poison their dad. Wrap that around your head. And so when Herod learned about it, of the sons that he had, he personally murdered three of them. Play with that for a second. He killed three of his own boys. He murdered one of his wives. He murdered one of his mothers in law He murdered several of his uncles because he was petrified that someone would take the throne from him. When he died, he wanted people to be sad at his death. And so here's how he did it. He ordered that when it looked like his life was coming to an end, that thousands of Jews were to be arrested and imprisoned and executed because, in his words, I want multiple families sad at the occasion of my own death. This guy was horrifying. And so we apply that to the setting that we're looking at and we find out that the guy was so bad, I want you to catch this, he was so bad that the murder of a handful of children wasn't even in his top 10 list of all the horrible things that he did. And if you were gonna write a life story about Herod the Great like Josephus did, you would write all the horrible things this guy did and you might not even think about the murder of six, seven, eight boys because it doesn't even compare to the atrocity of what this guy did. Many people think Josephus never even heard about the death of those children because everything else Herod was doing was so horrible. It'd be like if we knew a, of, a, of an individual in this area who just kept robbing uh, gas stations uh, and, and armed himself and went in and shot people. And Let's say we had a guy that just kept doing that, kept doing that, kept doing that, and we wrote about him. Would we also wrote that somebody saw him roll through a stop sign the other day? And that's what we're looking at, is that the death of these children, although so horrifying and so terrible, The reality is nobody talked about it because Herod was so much of a bad person. And so yeah, this really did happen. But watch this. For some reason in God's wisdom, he put it in the most beautiful story that he would ever tell the Christmas story. Why did he do that? Because the reality is that when you walk with Jesus, When you find yourself saying, man, that's the life that I wanna live. I wanna be connected to the Father God. I want that. I wanna resemble Jesus in my life. I wanna be full of the Holy Spirit. Here's what God wants you to know. Your life will not always be easy. That as much as you want it to be, there will be things that happen in your life that you do not want them to happen, but they're still gonna happen. And there's going to be things that you really want to happen, man. You'll give anything for that to be your story in your life. And, and it's, it's not going to happen. Because when you walk with Christ in this world, you will still have trouble. Anybody see this verse? In this world, you will have trouble. The words of Jesus. Notice what he said. Not, okay, you might have some trouble. He didn't say, hey, chances are, you didn't hit a speed bump once in a while. No, he said, you will have trouble. The word will is written in an intentional way with a very special form of the way they wrote it in Greek. And he wrote it in the way of saying, you're going to have it today, and then you never going to stop. You will have trouble. Ever see this verse? Everyone who wants to live a God of life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so you look at the first verse and say, well, I'm gonna live the straight and narrow. I'm gonna do what God wants me to do and I'm not gonna have any trouble. And Peter says, or Timothy says, I don't know what you're talking about, bro. Because when you live for him, watch this. You might have more trouble. So, Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week, okay? Why is this story in the Christmas story? Why is it there? Because we all live it. We all live that way. Everyone in this room lives in the frame of that idea that sometimes bad things happen to innocent people. And so it leads you to the next question. Why? Why did that happen in Bethlehem and why have those things happened in your life and in my life? Why did they happen? And God arranges this story to be able to give us an indication of maybe why. I had an opportunity to see it live a few weeks ago. I was sitting on this little chair. I'm out in this park and I'm watching a practice of a bunch of kids who are playing football on a football team. And I think I think their ages were like seven and eight or something like that. And so these little kids are practicing and I was watching their practice. They're practicing football. And I'm a football guy, so I loved it. And I, I went there thinking, oh, this is gonna be kind of cute, you know, little kids playing. they had coaches that thought these kids were like, 21 years old. I mean, they were screaming at these kids. They were in their face. They were yelling at them. I mean, this was serious business for these little kids. And I'm sitting there in my seat. I'm loving every bit of them. Okay. I thought this was the greatest thing. So they're doing this one on one drill. And uh, I'll show you how it works real quick. Some of y'all might know. But you put you put one of the kids here, one of the kids here. They're facing each other. They're about five yards apart. And the coach blows his whistle. And, man, they get at it with each other and try to knock each other's brains out. And when one of them falls and it's over with, next kids get up there. So they're doing that drill, okay? And I'm, I'm laughing. I thought, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I'm laughing about it. So he gets these two kids here. And this coach is one of the crazies. He might know what I'm talking about, little league coach crazy. Anybody with me? Okay, he's one of the crazies. And he's yelling at these kids. And he's saying, are you ready? Yes, sir, are you ready? Yes, sir, are you gonna get him? Yes, sir, you're gonna let him get you? No, sir. I mean, the kids are screaming back and they get down in position and he blows his whistle. (laughs) And this poor kid over here, got his bell rung, man. This giant kid mows him over, knocks him down. This kid is immediately crying, he's wailing, and I'm thinking, man, this don't look good. This kid ain't moving, I'm thinking his eyes are fluttering, you know, He break a leg, break it off, man, it looks bad. And so the coach comes over and bends down. And And what happens in the next few minutes, I assumed, I think I'm right, I don't know for, 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 for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that the coach was that kid's dad. And so he bends down, he's looking at his son, and I'm thinking, you know, we need to call 911, what's going on? And finally, the dad kind of picks him up and he's looking in his eyes, and then the dad does this. Cindy! And Cindy was this kid's mama. I'm assuming Cindy was his wife. And I looked over and there's some ladies sitting in a little circle about 75 yards away, you know, talking about their nails or Taylor Swift or something significant to the world. And so uh, Cindy looks up and sees what's going on and she turns into Usain Bolt. I mean, she is flying to her boy. But here's the next thing that just caught me is that once the coach saw that Cindy's on the way, he dropped the kid and went back over and said, all right, next to. left him there. Because mom's coming. Now, if you're a preacher, you're cursed with something. And that's what you're cursed with. It don't matter whether you're at Walmart. It don't matter if you're a football practice. It don't matter if you're walking down in a park somewhere. You see things and immediately spiritualize them. Is that in the Bible? You know, does God have anything? So I'm watching this and I'm thinking, I've seen that in my life in the way God deals with me, and you have. Because sometimes when I get hurt, God resembles Cindy. And he holds me and comforts me and encourages me and stays with me until I can get on my feet and go again. And many of you in this room, you're here because God has done that for you. You know what it feels like, and you can sing about the comforting beauty of God's care in your life. But here's the reality nobody likes to talk about, is sometimes God's like the coach. Yeah, hey, you'll be all right. And he leaves. Now I'm going to show you how that happened in this story. Because when we deal with the reality that that life sometimes has these things occur to us that we didn't want, and then we don't get the things we really want, and we have to say, okay, what's up? And the Bible can give us some hints at times of why. And so if you're sitting in this room right now and you've ever asked the why question, there are hints that maybe are answers to your why, but I don't think we ever know enough to definitely say why. But the Christmas story hints at one. And so if you've ever wrestled through the why question, if you've ever been the parents of six, seven, eight kids in Bethlehem. If you've ever wanted to know why, I want you to watch what happens in this story. So Herod the Great does this horrible, terrible, unthinkable thing, unbelievably bad. And if we take Matthew's account, who Matthew is the only guy who told it to us, and we stay with Matthew's account, and we advance about 25 years later. Watch this, it's fascinating. Another Herod shows up. As Herod the Great died. And now about 25 years, is another Herod. And he's in your Bible. I brought both Herods up here so you can see what I'm talking about. Herod the Great killed the Bethlehem kids, but Herod Antipas, killed John the Baptist, we talked about him last week. Herod Antipas was one of the sons of Herod the Great. He was one of the sons that Herod the Great did murder, one of the sons that made it. And now that his dad was gone, now he had some rain in this area 25 years later when Jesus is walking around. And we find out that Herod Antipas was just as bad as his daddy. Let me tell you what this dude did. He stole his brother's wife. And some of y'all right now are calculating, you're going, okay. He stole his brother's wife. He had an affair with his brother's wife. And then he married her. And John the Baptist, who we talked about last week, is cruising around, getting ready for when Jesus is coming on the scene. And John the Baptist knew what Herod was doing with this woman, Herodias. Herod and Herodias. And John the Baptist said, dude, that is wrong. You gotta feel terrible about that. That should never happen. And Herod the Great, said, or Herod Antipas said, I'm not gonna listen to you, dude, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put you in prison. Let's don't put that up there yet. Let's take that slide off for a second. So he just puts him, in, he puts him in prison. And Herodias, his wife, illegitimate wife, a little bit later, they're at a party and she tells her husband, hey, why don't you just go ahead and kill him? And so Herod Antipas cuts his head off. I mean, you can see how the, didn't fall too far from the, the block there, did it? huh? Horrible, horrible guy. Now, the the thing about this story, and you'll see where it kicks in, is the issue is not just that he was a bad guy like his dad was a bad guy, but what Jesus did about this. And that's where you start to open up the Bible, and we start to get the why question answered. So this horrible thing happens to John the Baptist, and the Bible tells us what Jesus did did about it. Stay with me. When you're knocked down, when you're hurt, when you're going through stuff, you did not want that to happen in your life. You can't believe that happened. You don't know why they did that to you. You have no idea. Listen, pay attention to what Jesus did with John the Baptist. It comes up in this text in Matthew chapter four, and I want you to see it. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, and I'm gonna tell you at this point, Jesus knew what they were gonna to do to him. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth where all that was happening. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was about 90 miles away, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. You would think that Jesus, hearing the news, would have rushed in like Cindy. You think that when bad stuff happens to you, that he's gonna rush in like Cindy. He not only didn't rush in, he left and went far, far away and didn't just go. He went to live there, dude, and he lived By the lake in Capernaum. In his most desperate hour of need, John the Baptist noticed that Jesus went to the lake. Now, I don't know how many of us really say it because it's so uncomfortable and we're worried about, you know, lightning bolts and stuff like that. But have you ever wanted to look up and say, it just seems to me that you just went off to the lake? Why would he do that? Why on earth would he do that? And so John is in prison and he's he's struggling. I can't believe that Jesus didn't come get me. And John knew what Jesus had said about him. Jesus one time said, There's not a better person ever to be born by a woman than John the Baptist. Jesus said, John the Baptist is the goat of all time. And John knew that. And now, and now Jesus took off to the lake. And so John starts wondering. I wonder if he is who he really is. And so John gets his buddies together and calls them in after a prison visit and said, Would you go up to the lake house and would you find him and ask him, Are you who you really say you are? Have you ever wanted to ask that? I have when stuff happens that I didn't want to happen, and when things I really need and they just don't come about, I'd I'd like to ask, are are you really who you say you are? Really? And so they go up there and they ask him, hey, John's wanting to know. What are you doing at the lake, dude? And Jesus said this, and I might, (laughs) I might pay a price for this. If Jesus ever said anything, then I would then say to him, dude, I don't know if I would've said that. This is it. Jesus looked at him and said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And so Jesus said, no, go tell him that I'm helping all these people. Do you really wanna hear that when God has not helped you? Do you want to hear, but he helped all those people? Do you really want to hear that? Probably not. Because I just want to know why he didn't help me. And so Jesus then looks at these guys and he tells them why it happened. Now, I don't have this in my notes. Um, I just feel a sense that there's times when when I need to jump out of what I've prepared and just kind of be really open with you. And I'm gonna show you a verse here in a minute. I'm gonna show you what it means. You have got to hear this. The health and the sustainability of your faith is dependent on whether you hear this. Because Jesus, who's at the lake, said to the guys, tell John this. Check this out. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. What's that mean? What is he trying to say? He was telling those guys, watch this. I'm not going to rescue John. And I'm not going to stop what's coming down the road for John. I'm not going to stop it. And a lot of people will fall away from me because I chose not to fix their situation. Jesus even told that one time in a story that we open up our Pathway program here with. And he told about three people who chose to follow Jesus, and one of the three gave up because life got hard. And Jesus knew we would struggle with that. He knew there would be times when something bad will be brought into your life that you don't want. And the things that you would give a million dollars for, just say it, and he knew that when those things happen to us and it seems that God is enjoying the lake house, he knew that a lot of us would fall away. He knew that would happen. We just finished an audit of our membership in our church And we looked at every person who's ever been a member of our church in 60 years. And we're looking at them. Does anybody need us? Anybody need something we got to pray for? Anything going on with somebody? And we just kind of evaluated What do we need to do as a staff to kind of minister all of our people, our family? And it broke our heart to see many who do not walk with the Lord anymore because life got hard. And Jesus said, "I know there are people that they will do that." And would you hear this? This will happen to you." And so here's what Jesus said: "Blessed, happy is the person who will not fall away when I'm at the lake. You will have to wrestle through that in your Christian life at some point. And some of you may have to wrestle through it on multiple occasions. That he knows things that I don't know. And I'm staying and I'm faithful and I'm okay. Even though I don't quite understand why he's at the lake. Brandon Burleson was a football player about 25 years ago. He played for the University of Arkansas. Brandon was a devout young Christian man, incredible strong Christian family. Um, he worked hard all his life to get to the point where he could play in, in a D1 football um, got to the point where he was so good he was all American. 1999, he graduated. He he was drafted in third round to the Indianapolis Colts. He had a uh, just incredible story of a good guy that had just worked out well for him. Uh, they they put a movie together about his life called Greater. And um, before he ever had the opportunity to go to the Colts camp in his first year, um, he was going to attend an honor ceremony. And he, he backed out of the honor ceremony because he had promised his mom that he would come home that weekend and take her to church. And on the way home, near his home, he was in an accident and passed away in the, in the car wreck. They wrote this movie about him. And uh, if you ever get a chance, I don't encourage people to watch movies, but that's a great movie to watch because they do such a good job at how the family responded to tragedy. I mean, something you do not ever want to happen, and it happened. And why didn't God get out of the lake chair? And they they just did an incredibly good job showing about how the family wrestled through that, how Christian people wrestled through that. And toward the end of the movie, It it seems that his mom was making a little bit more headway than his brother was. And his brother was still just not understanding the lake thing at all. And his mom was kind of getting there, and they had this scene where they're together. And the mom said something to her her son, Brandon's brother, and it almost knocked me off my chair. And I stopped it, and I rewound it, and I listened to it again. I stopped it, I rewound it, and I said... (laughs) That's it, that's it, that is it. And Christians have to get to this point. Or you might not make it. Let me show you what she said. She told her son, you have to trust that something, does anybody see that's capitalized? Anybody with me here, okay? You have to trust that something greater See something from a higher perspective where everything makes sense. Because it won't make sense to you, but you trust that it makes sense to him. You will have to tackle that in your Christian life, even in seasons like Christmas, Father, you, you made us. Um, you know us. Your word tells us that you know our every thought. You know every part of our heart. And you know that we struggle a lot of times when you're at the lake. And I just pray that in those moments when we have to take a leap of trust in times when we don't understand and we don't agree and we don't like it. We have to get to the point where we know that you see things we don't see. You know things we don't know. And we choose to trust you. And God, there's probably some people in this room right now who are kind of working through that. And I pray that in this season of joy and family and Christmas and all this stuff, that you'd help us to get where we just gotta get. And I pray it in the name of Jesus, who we know loves us more than we could ever express.